0: Welcome to the British Football and Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Damia Diwale, and in this series, I'll be speaking to individuals who were involved in the affiliations between football clubs and basketball clubs in Britain from the 1970s to the 2000s. In episode four, we'll look to the future as the guests voice their thoughts on whether these football and basketball partnerships can make a return to Britain. Episode 2 saw us briefly refer to the current European model sporting clubs and the best examples across the continent including Real Madrid and Barcelona who have very successful basketball teams and PSG who have a great handball team. Now would be the perfect time to restart this project as a lot of traditional competitions are changing. The NBA added the playing tournament college players in the US can now get paid and there are strong proposals to change the World Cup in football from every four years to every two years. So let's begin with Richard Rudd as he explains how commercial entities could be the key to restarting football and basketball collaborations in Britain.
1: really see a future. I see... I see outside influences such as, say, the sportswear companies from America, yeah, they're always looking to expand markets, yeah. You look at the NBA and you look at the people going into to watch the NBA games and they've all got the kit on, they've all got the hats and they've all got that. And then you go on the website and you look at how much they cost, like $100 for a don'tic shirt or whatever it is. You know, it's a lot of... So I think there's a lot of pressure um, to find new markets. And Europe has the EuroLeague, yeah, and is really next to football. But England doesn't have that association. So I, I, in fact, I do know um, that there are people trying to push into the UK um, to get basketball a uh, better profile and the government's better, so that then becomes a mainstream sport rather than a, uh, a not a mainstream sport that so it's been. So I think I think once uh, the Premiership, yeah, maybe the league below the Premiership because the Premiership has a lot of money, you know. Maybe you know um, what do they call it? The Championship. Maybe m- more teams in the Championship might become associated and also when i was when we were doing it the facilities were terrible yeah so there were very few places to play basketball yeah very few big gyms but now most football teams have big sports
0: complexes
1: where there could be training for basketball
0: a company like nike or adidas contributing to this project isn't out of the realm of possibility in fact the overtime elite league is launching this year it's a basketball competition of young highly rated prospects who want to skip the college or high school route and start making money straight away while still having a viable path to the nba investors in the league include jeff bezos and drake and it has eight five-star recruits from the 2024 nba draft class so it shouldn't be taken lightly This is a prime example of big commercial entities getting involved in sports, not as sponsors but as actual league makers, and it gives hope that a venture like this could develop in Britain. For Dan Lloyd, Britain needs to focus more on media investment and building homegrown talent if there's any hope for these collaborations returning. The support from Channel 4 definitely contributed to British basketball's golden age in the 1970s and 1980s. And Dan's upcoming story illustrates that further. We've produced a
2: number of top basketball players. You know, they've gone to the States and some have played professionally. So, you know, we've shown that we can produce that level of talent and now the top top players are now going to the the continent to play and and uh, so it's, it's going to take investment. It's going to take uh, uh, perhaps a change in attitude. Um, I don't think, you, you know, when we back, we were, I was very fortunate to be involved with the game. What I think is in, the, in its heyday, late 70s, 80s. And a lot of that was due to Channel 4 coming on board in 81, starting up as a new channel. And one of the things they did, they showed live basketball every Monday night. And I mean, that went, they went through a learning curve to do that. I mean, so you looked at some of those games now, you're thinking, oh my God, you know, who, who produced this stuff? Camera angles would be all wrong. You know, you wouldn't see the ball. It was, so it was quite new to them to try to televise a sport like basketball. But, uh, you, you know, and I say, uh, we, were, we were the first uh, team to play. I don't know if you've heard the story, but uh, uh, we, we played Birmingham and uh up at birmingham and we had a young guy on our team trevor anderson young south londoner and he hit a shot at half court to tie the game right so he we went into overtime i mean how what you couldn't get a better game as your first game you know it was it was a very close game here's a guy it's almost like a gold shot guy hits a shot from half court ties the game and uh we go into overtime and we win the game in overtime and I just remember people saying, uh, you know, seeing him afterwards that, hey, that was a setup, wasn't it? You know, they they set that up. like, hey, you can't set that up. You know, guy hitting a shot from half court, and uh, but it, the game just skyrocketed, and especially kids, kids started playing it. Only wanted to play it at schools, so it really it it, uh, it skyrocketed in terms of popularity, thanks to the television, and that's what it needs. It needed television, but unfortunately, the game had been mismanaged you know, over the years. And it went up and then it went down in popularity and back up again, you know, Channel 4, then Sky. And so in the 80s, you know, we were playing, we were playing cup finals at the Royal Albert Hall, Wembley Championships. And uh, we are getting, they were all being televised. And then all of a sudden television pulled out. Uh, You know, maybe the ratings went down. And so uh, you, you need that media. Uh, back up in order for the game to to
0: reach that level again. Sky Sports picked up coverage of the British Basketball League for a few years in the early 2000s. The broadcaster reclaimed the rights to the BBL in late 2020 and also showed the games on their YouTube channel to widen the league's audience. British Basketball League is still recovering from the tough lockdown period, but it's full of talent and combined with the Sky Sports coverage, the profile of British basketball should improve. Tony Garbalotto echoes the sentiments of Dan Lloyd and talks about which owners in the Premier League are most likely to restart these collaborations and what that would take. Because there are um American owners at high profile Premier League teams, Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool. Do you think there's a way for, um, there's a pathway for British football clubs to become affiliated with basketball clubs again? And if so, what do you think that would take for it to happen?
3: Yeah. Uh, you know, as crazy as this sounds, it's more likely to be the european or asian owners that drive something like that versus the american owners i mean um good question it's such a great question why 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 are people in 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 the premiership football you know uh, why why do they buy premiership football clubs they buy premiership football clubs because you know they likely you know it's the it's the second or third biggest prop sports property in the world. I mean, you can make a decision, you know, first is NFL, and then secondly, is premiership or the NBA, and they're kind of neck and neck in, in, in their visibility and their financial worth. Um, so they're buying into something that they believe that they can make some money in. I'm not sure that they fully, um, I mean, you know, Stan Kroenke, owns the Denver Nuggets, I mean, it's crazy to believe, you know, you would think that there, that there would be some synergy with regards to that. I mean, the, the Glazers are NFL owners, um, obviously, um, the local owners are, are, are baseball, but they've obviously got Lamar in there. Um, the, the, the answer to the question is, um, we have to, as a sport, grow to League level for that to happen. Okay, if we could get six to eight clubs that were um, playing European competition, and we have one playing almost Euroleague level, there's no doubt that eventually a football club is going to want to
0: link to that scenario. I have to agree with Tony here, as an argument can be made that the American owners in the Premier League don't fully prioritize their football teams this is an interesting shift from the previous episode as the majority of the time these football and basketball collaborations ended in the past because owners prioritise football now we have the Glazer family who own Manchester United but they also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of the NFL who just won the Super Bowl that's likely where their focus lies in terms of the EuroLeague Ironically, a lot of teams in that competition are football and basketball affiliations. The most successful team is Real Madrid, but Barcelona are involved, Bayern Munich, Olympiacos, Monaco and so on. Maybe the key to reviving these affiliations is success in Europe, whether that's in the EuroLeague or the Basketball Champions League that the London Lions are involved in. To round off this episode, Ken Lottage gives a brief history lesson whilst providing some hope for future affiliations.
4: Yeah, well, it, it was based on one of those models. It, the Newcastle Sporting Club was based on um, Sporting Lisbon, um, <clears throat> and Sir John Hall, Sir John Hall, who was the chairman and owner of Newcastle United, created this this sporting club. And what was really interesting is. Um, several years after when I'd moved on to another job I was contacted by somebody who said um, that they'd been offered a job running a sporting club in England and could I talk to them about this and you know what I'd found and that sporting club exists in Bristol now so in Bristol you've got the the um, Bristol City Football Club you've got a rugby club that plays at the stadium you've got a basketball club and I think you've got netball and so the concept is being replicated down there and that's not far from here this from where I live in Cheltenham that's about 45 miles and it's doing very well it is it's, it's doing very well again it's one owner um, but whether or not that commercial element transfers the way it should do Time will tell, but at the moment, um, that owner seems pretty determined to make it work, which is a lovely concept, you know, if you can get it working. But as you say, the Barcelona concept has been around a lot of years and it does work very, very well.
0: I think the Bristol City project is very interesting, even down to the simple details like their website. If you go on the football club's website, at the top, there are links to the rugby website and the basketball website, so it's all connected. Also, this supports Richard Rudd's idea that the process would have to begin with the championship teams before it reaches the Premier League. That's it for the fourth and final episode of this series. I want to thank you all for tuning in to the British Football and Basketball podcast. I really enjoyed hosting this podcast and taking in these underrepresented but important stories. It's clear that Britain has a great history in basketball and with the high participation amongst the youth, I have hope for these affiliations becoming a staple in British culture once again. I've been Damia Diwale, thanks for listening.